The following is a presentation of the All Andy Alford Network, powered by Anchor. You are listening to Andy tonight on the plethora of platforms on the Anchor Network, whether it be on Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Bleaker. However you listen, wherever and whenever you're listening, thank you so much for tuning into the program tonight. You can always be a part of our show by following us on Twitter. It is at AllAndyElford. It is at AllAndyElford and Facebook.com slash AllAndyElford. After a week vacation from yours truly, we are back and on the air, and the Tigers fall 2-3 of three to the Chicago Cubs while the Reds get a winning road trip and split in the Rocky Mountains. The Tribe falls in Fraser Craneland country while the Mud Hens are becoming the typical Mud Hen season with losses in Indianapolis this past weekend. We'll talk about all of what's happening on the Diamond tonight on All Andy Alfred. When I last left you, I was headed towards Columbus for the final three games of the Jacket season. We'll talk about what I saw on the ice on that Wednesday night against Nashville. And Torts is out. So where does the coaching realm go? And Seth Jones thinking about an extension? I'd like to hear that. The crew are not the crew anymore. They're Columbus SC and BG Falls in the Battle of I-75, losing two or three to the school up north. But that all changes tonight, right here on All Andy Alfred, because we're back. After a week vacation, I've got the Truly Fruit Punch going. It's time to crank it up. It's time to turn up. And it's time for All Andy Alfred. Guess who's back? All Andy Alfred. And a shot at a goal. 24 runs in the span. I'm going shut out. Go home, Jack. That's way back. Put some extra relish on my hot dog. Bear down, Chicago Bears. Choo choo, it's time for all Andy Alfred. And for the first time in about a week, I say, oh, I love you guys. And welcome in to another edition of all Andy Alfred right here on your exclusive home for me. And that is the Anchor Network, and you are listening to us tonight on the plethora of platforms with the Anchor Network, whether it be on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Bleaker, Stitcher, however you are listening, wherever and whenever you're listening, thank you. Thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for giving me your time, your patience, and the effort to listen to tonight's show, today's show for me. As we're doing the show on the 17th of May, 2021. As you can follow us on Twitter, it is at AllAndyElfred. It is at AllAndyElfred, as well as on Facebook.com slash AllAndyElfred. So welcome into the show. A lot to get into, a lot to unpack, of course. Let's do a little bit of housekeeping notes. Uh, welcome in. Uh, last week, we did take a vacation uh, from the show. I needed to recharge after the long week that I had. Uh, opening day Tuesday for the Mud Hens. Wednesday the opener, uh, the final game, the the first chance to step into Nationwide Arena for the first time in this COVID era. 
Um, also, my sister got married over that that following sat that that's that Saturday. Excuse me, my apologies. And you know, it was just it was so mentally draining, and I was just absolutely tired. And then last week, I got to starting writing up the show on Monday, and I just decided, you know what, I just need I need a week, I need a week to recharge, especially with the end of the hockey season. And then to find out the torts was was released by the Jackets, I needed some time to reflect and some time to think about what's happening. And uh, also I had to get prepared for Cedar Point's opening weekend, of course, and we'll talk about all that. We'll unpack everything from the vacation. Uh, got a chance to spend some more time with uh, my fiancé, got some more of the wedding planning done. Um, yeah, it, you know, it's just... Time gets away from people from from you sometimes, and you just gotta stop and take a look around because you're gonna miss it. Is what Ferris Bueller says it best. Um, I I just needed time to reflect on myself, and and it was good. It was good time. Uh, good time to reflect on myself, and you know it's just it's good to be back doing what I love the most, and that's talking about sports and being with you guys tonight. And talking about about this as I drop my keys, of course, right here on the desk. Here as I'm in the Man Cave Studios here in Toledo, Ohio. So welcome aboard. Let's get right into it, of course. And let's talk about what's happening on the Diamond. Uh, huge weekend in Detroit. Uh, big weekend, big week for the Reds. And a trip to Fraser Crane Country for the Tigers coming up. And they're going to say the Indians fly right past them here as we get into recapping what's happening on the diamond. So let's talk about the Tigers. The Tigers welcomed in the Chicago Cubs after a big series win, a sweep over the Kansas City Royals. They then welcomed in the Chicago Cubs in a three-game set at Comerica Park in a, what I would say, you know, the Cubs are not that great early on. It's good to see the Cubs this early if you're a Tigers fan because, you know, the Cubs aren't that good to start the season off. They usually get hot right around middle of June to July, and then they make that run towards the playoffs into August and September. So it's good to see the Tigers getting an opportunity to play the Cubs after sweeping Kansas City three straight. So it started off with Friday's game, and unfortunately, it was more or less Chris Bryant home run leading. Chris Bryant leading off and having that home run, which gave the Cubs the overwhelming power to beat the Detroit Tigers on Friday night, as the Tigers fall to the Cubs by a score of four to two. Jake Arrieta gets the win for the Cubs. He goes to 4-3 and three with a 4.10 ERA. Uh, Scoble, again, he is struggling. And, you know, I, I look at this kid and I think, you know, what does this kid have to do? And what can he do to, you know, improve himself? Because he is struggling. He is 0-6 this season with a 5.73 ERA. It didn't help that the offense was, was really... Powering only by two home runs, and that was Jake Rogers, his first of the season, and Robbie Grossman homering for the Tigers. It was Chris Bryant, like I mentioned, starting it all off and homering for the Cubs. 
and he powered the Cubs to the four to win Kimbrell the save, his seventh of the season. Looking at the box score, Scoble in the game went six innings, giving up eight hits, four runs. All four were earned. One walk, five strikeouts. He gave up the home run to Bryant. For Arietta in the game, a solid outing. Six innings pitched, four hits, two runs. Those two runs were earned. One walk, one strikeout, and two home runs. The home runs from Rogers and Grossman he gave up. So the Tigers fall in the first game of the series by a score of 4-2. to two. You get to then Saturday mid-afternoon, 4.05 first pitch, and the Tigers you know, seem to bounce back a little bit in this game. And it was four, it, it went into extra innings. And thank goodness for Willie Castro. Castro having the single, which turned into the double into left, into left field, bringing in Jones for the winning run. And the Tigers getting a big 9-8 win over the Cubs in 10 innings at Comerica Park. And you felt like the Tigers had momentum with this win. After all, Michael Fulmer getting the win. He goes to 3-2 with a 3.45 ERA. Kimbrell, the loss, he goes to 0-2 with a 1.15 ERA. Uh, Duffy, home ring for the Cubs, his first of the season. Like I said, Castro home, uh, scoring the double in the 10th inning. For the Tigers, it was starting on the hill. It was Herrera. He had a struggling start for him. Another pitcher that I'm thinking that the Tigers, Scoble and Herrera, are the two pitchers that the Tigers need to make some considerations for possibly moving to the bullpen because this is not a starting pitcher. Two and two-thirds innings pitch, five hits, four runs. All four were earned. One walk, one strikeout in the game for Herrera. Daniel Norris came in in relief. He won an inning in the third, one hit. Two strikeouts in the game. For the Cubs, it was it was uh, t- Williams starting. He went two innings pitch, four hits, three runs. All three runs were earned. Two walks and two strikeouts. His ERA, a 6.27. Herrera's, by the way, ERA is a 4.22. So the Tigers getting a big win. They Could they salvage and win the series on Sunday? Unfortunately, it was Ian Happ going yard for the Cubs. His first of the season, helping the Cubs get get them a win by a score of five to one. It was Hendricks the win. He goes to three and four with a five point two seven ERA. Uh, Matthew Boyd the loss. He goes to two and four with a two point four five ERA. Uh, no home runs hit for the Tigers in the game, and Ian Happ homering his excuse me his third of the season. Enjoying and Happ had a three hit game in this one. On yesterday afternoon, Boyd, six innings pitched, five hits, excuse me, six hits, five runs, four of which were earned, one walk, eight strikeouts. He gave up the home run to Hap. For the Cubs in the game, Hendricks, a good outing, eight innings pitched, eight hits, one run. That run was earned, no walks, and eight strikeouts in the game. So the Tigers fall two of three to the Seattle, to that, excuse me, to, to the Chicago Cubs, and you, you figure that the this would help out, you know. The homestand, they go four and two on the homestand, and that's you know that's fine. You know, I'll I'll, I'll take a four and two homestand when you go and play Kansas City and sweep them after they came in and swept you. It was uh, 
it's interesting. It really, it really is, it really is. But of course, you know they have to move on. And, you know, and you've got to play bigger and better teams. And the bigger and better teams, of course, is of course the Seattle Mariners. That's where Detroit heads to next. They head up to one of my favorite television series shows. They head up to Seattle, Washington, the home of the Seattle Kraken, and of course, home of this show. Of course. Hey, baby, I hear the blues are calling, toss salads and scrambled eggs. So the Tigers head into Seattle for a big series as they take on the Mariners. And it all starts tonight at 10-10 as Casey Mize on the hill. He's 2-3 and three with a 4.19 ERA. He'll take on Kuchi, who is 1-2 with a 4.30 ERA. 10-10 first pitch for that one. And Tuesday, it will be Jacob Turnbull on the hill. He is 2-2 two two with a 3.91 ERA. He'll take on Dunn, who is 1-1 one one with a 3.72 ERA. 10-10 start time for that one tomorrow night. And another 10-10 start time as it will be Gilbert on the hill for Seattle. He is 0-1 with a 9.00 ERA. He'll take on Scoble, who is 0-6 with a 5.73 ERA. All games, 10-10 start times. You can watch those games on Valley Sports Detroit or Root Sports out in beautiful Seattle, Washington. As we keep the Fraser music going, of course, they were also, the Mariners were also in action this past weekend against another Great Lakes team, and that was the Cleveland Indians. The Indians came a calling in a four-game series against the Mariners, and the Mariners taking three of four against the Tribe. As it was starting off on Thursday with Plesak on the hill for the Indians, a great outing for him as he and the Indians propelled themselves to a 4-2 victory over the Seattle Mariners. Plesak, the win, he goes to 3-3 three three with a 3.56 ERA. Gilbert, the loss, he goes to 0-1 with a 9 ERA. Uh, 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 Jose Ramirez, his 11th home run of the season. Uh, Reyes, his 9th home run of the season. For the Tribe, it was Moore getting his fourth home run of the season. And Brad Shaw getting the save, his first of the season. And in the game, Plesak going a strong eight innings pitch. Two hits, two runs. All two were earned. Three walks, two strikeouts, one home run. The home run he gave up to Moore. For the Mariners in the game, like I mentioned, Gilbert, the loss, he went four innings pitch. Five hits, four runs. Those four runs were earned. No walks, five strikeouts. And two home runs hit in the game. The one from Reyes and the one from Ramirez. So the Indians getting the big 4-2 win in the opener of the series. Unfortunately, it did not look good after that. The Indians fall on Friday night to the Mariners by a score of 7-3. Flex in the win, he goes to 4-1 with a 3.46 ERA. Cervelli, the loss, he goes gets his first loss of the season. 
He is now 5-1 with a 3.40 ERA. Montero to save his fifth of the season. Uh, Josh Naylor, his third home run for the Tribe. Corey Seager, his eighth for the Mariners. Hagar, his 11th. And then Kinetic. Yes, the young kid. Jared Kinetic, 21 years of age. Gets his first major league hit. And he hits a... he hits a home run 403 feet into the right center bleachers. And it propelled him and the Mariners to a 7-3 win Friday night at Safeco Field in downtown, excuse me, T-Mobile Park in downtown Seattle, Washington. So, you know, it's good for the kid to get his first hit of the season. It really was. And, uh, but... Did it have to come against the Indians? It really shouldn't have come against the Indians. For the Indians of the game, Cervelli, six and two-thirds innings pitch, seven hits, five runs. All five were earned, one walk, six strikeouts. He gave up two home runs, the Kinetic and the Hagar home run in the game. For the Mariners in the game, it was flexing the win. He goes to four and one with a 3.46 ERA. He went five and two-thirds innings pitch, five hits, one run. That run was earned, one walk, no strikeouts, and no home runs. He did not give up. So the Mariners a 7-3 win. They also win on Saturday by that same score, 7-3. It was McKenzie struggling yet again. And this kid, I said I said it earlier in this in these podcasts. This kid should be down in Columbus because he is not working out for the tribe, in my honest opinion. This kid is a young kid. He needs a year more in Columbus to develop his arm. And develop his pitching stance. I think Tito and the and, and the Indians rushed him up here. I really don't like this. I really don't. And he's paying for it now in the major leagues as the Indians fall to the Mariners on Saturday by a score of seven to three. McKenzie the loss. He goes to one and two with a five point seven nine ERA. Sheffield the win. He goes to three and three with a four point six seven ERA. Henry Ramirez his first of the season. For the Tribe, more his fifth. Hagar, his twelfth for the Mariners. For McKenzie in the game, four and a thirds inning pitch, five hits, five runs, all five of which were earned. Three walks, six strikeouts. He gave up the two home runs to Moore and Hagar in the game. His ERA a 5.79 in the game. For Sheffield, he went six innings pitch, five hits, two runs, two of which were earned. Two walks, two strikeouts, no home runs hit in the game. He gave up in the game for the Mariners. So the Mariners getting two of three. Could they go for three of four? And they do capitalize on it. And you figure that Shane Bieber would be the the, the bounce back for the, the the Indians in this game. You know, Bieber on the hill, he is like dominant in some aspects. Bieber yesterday went four and two-thirds. Five hits, three runs, three of which were earned, four walks, seven strikeouts. His ERA was a 3.17 after the game. And he got the loss. The Indians fall and lose three of four to the Seattle Mariners as they fall on Sunday by a score of three to two to the Mariners. Beaver the loss, like I mentioned, he's now four and three now with a 3.17 ERA. Seawald the win. He goes to 1-0 with a 0 ERA. No, t- no home runs hit for either team in the game. 
Graveman gets to save his fifth of the season. For the Mariners, like I mentioned, Beaver's line, it was actually Duggar starting for the Mariners. He went three innings pitch, no runs, none earned, one walk, four strikeouts in the game. Seawall, two innings pitch, two hits, no runs, none earned, one walk, four strikeouts in the game. So the Indians falling to Frazier Crane or Martin Crane's Seattle Mariners. The Mariners welcome in the Tigers starting tonight as the Indians will head down the coast, down to the Trout Farm, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, they're headed to L.A. in the battle. Mike Trout, Shohei Otani, and the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. As it will all start tonight at 9.38, and it will be Hedges on the hill. He's 1-0 with a 3.29 ERA. He'll take on Sandoval who has no record as of yet. His ERA is a 6.14 ERA. Tuesday sees Plesak on the hill, 3-3 three three with a 3.56 ERA. He'll take on Henry, who is 1-3 with a 4.75 ERA, 938 first pitch for that one. The concluding game on Wednesday sees uh, Cervelli on the hill for the Tigers, not, not Tigers, but the Indians, my apologies, 5-1 with a 3.40 ERA. He'll take on Shohei Otani. Yes, Otani on the hill. 1-0 with a 2.10 ERA. E07 Eastern is our first pitch time for that one. You can watch all those games on Bally Sports Great Lakes or and Sun Network out in the California Network. So, Indians falling as of late. The Tigers falling 2-3 to the Cubs. Could there be a winning team that we'll talk about tonight? Well, let's talk about the senior circuit. And let's talk about the Cincinnati Reds. Well, let's talk about the Reds. A split in the mountains, of course, as they headed into Coors Field to take on the Colorado Rockies. And the Rockies getting the better of the Reds to start the series off and the Reds were on this long road trip. They split the series in Cleveland in the Battle of the Ohio Cup. Unfortunately, a rain-canceled rain game on Mother's Day canceled it, and uh, they will make that game up next uh, in August. The Reds then taking 2-3 in Pittsburgh. Then they headed out to the West Coast, out into the mountains to battle the Colorado Rockies. And Thursday night, the Rockies getting the better of the Reds. The Rockies putting up 13 runs on the Cincinnati Reds as they beat the Reds 13-8. to Castillo, the loss, he goes to 1-5 with a 7.71 ERA. Gonzalez, the win, he goes to 2-1 with a 4.79 ERA. Uh, Jonathan India homering for the Red Legs, his second of the season. Stevenson, his second home run of the season. Hapson, his fourth for the Rockies, as well as Ferreras, his fourth of the season. In the game for the Reds, Castillo started for the Reds in this game, and he went three and two-thirds inning pitch, giving up ten hits, eight runs. All eight were earned. Two walks, three strikeouts. He gave up one home run in his time out on the hill. For the Colorado Rockies, it was Gonzalez to win. He, goes, he went seven innings pitch, four, four hits, no runs, none of which were earned, one walk and two strikeouts. His ERA, a 
7-9. So the Reds falling in the first game of the series. And, you know, we kind of figured that, you know, going from West Coast to East Coast is going to be a little bit of a hard time for them. But you figure that they get their 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 mountain legs into them and they could get back into the swing of things on Friday night. And unfortunately, it could not happen. The Rockies getting a big 9-6 to win over the Red Legs at Coors Field. As it was Marquez, the win, he goes to 2-4 and four with a 5.56 ERA. Wade Miley, the loss, he goes to 4-3 and three with a 3.69 ERA coming off of that no-hit performance. Barred the save, his fourth of the season. Homer's hit in the game. Hapson, his fifth for the Rockies. Jonathan India, a second home run in two games, his third of the season. And Eugenio Suarez homering in the game, his seventh of the season. For the Reds in the game, it was Miley starting. He went three innings pitch, only giving up 11 hits, eight runs. All eight were earned, three walks, and five strikeouts. And he did not give up a home run in his in his outing. For the Rockies in the game, it was Marquez starting for the Rockies. He went six innings pitch, eight hits, four runs, four of which were earned, three walks, eight strikeouts. He gave up one home run in his time out, of course, and that was from that was off of Jonathan India. So the Reds falling in the series, and but they get back into it, and the Rally Reds find a way to win games and to salvage the road trip. We get to Saturday, and you figure that the Reds have to come out strong, and they did. In the top of the twelfth inning, scoring. Two runs in the 12th inning, all by Nick Castellanos, starting it all off with a single out into right field, making a 5-4 game. They added an additional run in the game in the inning. Got a little bit of a scare in the bottom half of the 12th, giving up one run in that 12th inning. But in the end, the Reds getting a 6-5 win in 12 innings. Sims gets the win. He goes to 3-1 with a 5.40 ERA. Santos the loss. He goes to 0-1 with a 5.40 ERA. Hambreed the save. His first of the season. Homers hit the game. McMahon his ninth for the Rockies. It was Farmer his second of the season. And Nick Castellanos his tenth of the season. He pitched Rob Manford on that baseball and just tattooed that one. Into the seats, baby. If you you don't know what I'm talking about, look on my Twitter account. Look at the video. You'll laugh your ass off about it. Absolutely laugh your ass off about it. In the game, the Reds did have O'Malley on the hill. He started for the Reds. He went seven innings pitched, seven hits, two runs. All two were earned. No walks, four strikeouts. He gave up the one home run. That home run to McMahon, his ninth of the season. For the Rockies in the game, it was Chanchin starting his four. He went four innings pitch, four hits, two runs. Those two were earned. One walk, three strikeouts. He gave up one home run in his time out on the hill. So the Reds getting a big win in extra frames, and they do it again on. Could they do it and win again on Sunday? And of course, they get the job done as they win big on Sunday by a score of seven to six. Uh, Doolittle, the win, he goes to 3-0 and with a 4.20 ERA. Givens, the loss, he goes to 1-2 with a 4.02 ERA. Anton, the save, his second of the season. In the Reds, you know, they, they rallied in the ga- rallied again in this game. 
They were down they were down five runs in the eighth inning and rallied back to win the game by a score of seven to six. And if that double play did not get turned in the bottom half of the ninth inning, the Reds probably would have lost that game yesterday and would have lost the series instead of having the split of the series against the Rockies. In the game for the Reds, it was Hoffman starting for the Red Legs. He went four innings pitch, four hits, five runs, two runs, however, were earned, three walks, five strikeouts in the game. His ERA now a 4.67 ERA for the Rockies. In the game, it was Senzella. He went seven innings pitch, four hits, one run. That run was earned, one walk, and three strikeouts in his time out tonight, on his timeout yesterday. Yesterday afternoon, so the Reds come back to Great American Ballpark. They are now welcoming in in a four-game series against the San Francisco Giants. Buster Posey and uh, former Reds by by Deef Scrafani, as well as Johnny Cueto, all coming back to pitch against the Reds. And we look at the starting lineup. We look at the scoreboard right now. The Reds are playing. The Giants, as we speak right now, it is all Giants right now. Bottom of the sixth inning it is the Giants five, the Reds nothing. You look at the game for the Giants, it is home runs from Flores, Uskremski, and Dubon. Three home runs hit in the game. They had a one. They were up one to nothing when I last left to go upstairs uh, to come up to the office. Now it's a five nothing. Giants lead, bottom of the sixth inning. And in the game tonight, it was uh, Sonny Gray going out on the hill right now. He, he is pulled from the game. He went five innings pitch, five hits, four runs. Three runs were earned, two walks, three strikeouts. He gave up two home runs in the game for the Giants. Webb still out on the hill. He went five innings pitch so far, five hits, no runs, none earned, one walk, two strikeouts so far in his time on the bump. So the Reds falling right now by a score of five to nothing. After tonight, it will be D. Scrafani, the former Reds pitcher, going on the bump at Great American Ballpark. He is three and one with the two point one four ERA. He'll take on Castillo, who is one and five with a seven point seven one ERA. Six forty start time for that one on Tuesday. On Wednesday, sees Guzman on the hill, three and zero with a one point eight four ERA. He'll take on Miley, who is four and three with a three point six zero ERA, six forty start time for that one. The concluding game Thursday sees Johnny Cueto, two and one with a three point six two ERA. He'll take on Mally, who is two and one with a two point nine three ERA. All games on Valley Sports Ohio or on the NBC Bay Area for those that are looking for that. So there's the Reds. There's the Tigers, and there's the Indians recap. Let's talk a little bit about what's happening around Major League Baseball, of course. Some news and notes before we get into the standings. Of course, the injury bug has really come alive in Major League Baseball. We've got a lot of injuries to talk about tonight right here. Of course, one of the big one is uh, Giancarlo Stanton is, is going to be out for the Yankees with a quad strain. He's out now, and uh, let me lay, lay out some names for you here, okay? Ronald Cunha is out. 
Ronald Cunha, actually, excuse me, my bad. He is back in the lineup tonight. They said Giancarlo Stanton is out. He's on the 10-day DL. Michael Del Forno, Jeff Neal, Jacob DeGrom, all out. Placed on the 10-day DL for the Mets. Bryce Harper, JT Morando, and Andrew Knapp from the Phillies are out. Harper with a right short shoulder Ill, Ill, soreness. And Orlando both day-to-day after exiting Saturday's game. You have Corey Seager from the Dodgers who, is, who suffered a fractured right hand when he was hit by a pitch on Saturday night. Uh, Otani, who is going to pitch on Wednesday of the series against the Indians, was pulled uh, on was was pulled Sunday against the Red Sox. Uh, Brandon Belt, who the uh, Giants are playing the Reds right now, was scratched due to left side tightness. Steven Strasburg's out as well. So the injury bug is really taking habit right here in Major League Baseball. It really is. But the good news is, is that you know Albert Pujols is finally the spot. Pujols has, was released and designated for assignment by the LA Angels of Anaheim. He'll take the road trip over to Chavez Ravine and take be in Dodger Blue. Yes, Albert Pujols signs a one-year deal with the Los Angeles Dodgers. Just adding another card to the stack deck in the NL West. I... And I, I said it. I said it the other day. I said it the other day to a friend of mine. You can't manage a future Hall of Famer. You just can't. You just got to let him go out and do what he's got to do. It's really what you got to do. You got to let him go out and do what he's got to do. And you can't control You can't control him. He's just trying to be a part of the show and milk whatever's left in the tank for him. So he's going to be a Dodger blue. So that's good. Uh, also, make note as well, June 2nd, full capacity for Indians and Reds games. So get your tickets accordingly, folks, if you're going to go see the Reds or the Indians. Uh, Whitmer hasn't decided yet if she's going to go full capacity with the with the Tigers. We'll see. It'll probably be later on in June when she makes that decision because she's kind of a little bit delayed in her decisions as normal. And with that in mind, let's take a look at the stand look at the scores going into today's games. Other than the Reds that are playing right now, they're losing five to nothing. The Mets are in Atlanta to take on the Braves. The Nationals are in the north side to battle the Cubs and the Cubs are up four to one on the Nationals, by the way. Mets and Braves are tied at zero. The White Sox are up 3-1 on the Twins. The Yankees are up 1-0 on the Rangers. Late games look like this. The Diamondbacks are at the Dodgers. Colorado is in San Diego to battle the Padres. And like I said, the Tigers are in Seattle to battle the Mariners. And the Indians are in Anaheim to battle the Angels. Looking at the standings going into tonight's play, looks like this. The American League Central, it is the White Sox on the top spot at 24 and 15 they're eight and two in their last ten. The Indians are in second place at twenty-one and seventeen, two and a half games out of first place. Kansas City is in third at eighteen and twenty-two, six and a half games out of first place. The Tigers are fourteen and twenty-six, ten and a half games out of first place. The Minnesota Twins 
are 13 and 25, 10 and a half games out of first place. In the AL East, it is the Boston Red Sox at 25 and 17 at the top spot. Toronto holding strong at second at 22 and 17, a game and a half out. The Yankees are surging, folks. They're in third spot right now at 22 and 18, two games out of first place. Tampa right behind them at 23 and 19, two games out of first place. And Baltimore is in last spot at 17 and 23, seven games out of first place. In the NL West is the A's at 25 and 17. In the top spot, the the Trastros, I mean the Astros are 24 and 17, half game out of first place. Seattle is 21 and 23 and a half games out of first place. The Angels of Anaheim are 17 and 22, six and a half games out of first place. Texas is 18 and 24, seven games out of first place. Looking at the National League and the Senior Circuit, looking at the Central, it is the Cardinals on the top spot at 23 and 18. Milwaukee holding strong in the second spot at 21 and 22 games out of first place. The Red Legs are 19 and 19. Two and a half games out of first place at 500. The Cubs are 19 and 20, three games out of first place, and the Pirates are 17 and 23, five game, five and a half games out of first place. In the National League East, it is the Mets at 18 and 16 at the top spot. Philadelphia is in second at 21 and 20, half a game out of first place. Now you say, why is the Mets in front of the Phillies? Well, the Phillies have played. The Mets have a better winning percentage right now than the Phillies. It says a lot. The Mets have a .529% winning percentage. The Phillies a .512. Atlanta's in third spot at 19-21, two games out of first place. Miami 18-22, three games out of first place. And the Nationals are 16-20, three games out of first place. In the West, it is the Giants on the top spot at 24 and 16, holding strong in first place. The Padres are in second. They're 24 and 17, a half a game out of first place. The Dodgers 22 and 18, two games out of first place. Arizona 18 and 23, six and a half games out of first place. And the Rockies finishing it all out at 15 and 26, nine and a half games out of first place. So that is all the MLB news and notes as well as the recap of the Tigers, Indians, and Reds. As you're listening to all Andy Elford tonight right here on the Anchor Network, whether it be on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Bleaker, Stitcher, however you're listening, wherever and whenever you're listening, thank you for tuning in. Let's talk a little minor league baseball. And the typical Mud Hens are back at it yet again. So let's talk a little Mud Hen baseball. Of course, the AAA farm team of the Detroit Tigers here in Toledo, Ohio, as they finish up their homestand against the Nashville Sound. They hit the road. They went to Indianapolis, a quick road trip for them, and they lose five of six to the Indianapolis Indians. You know, the prospects are not working right now in Toledo, and, you know, it's it's hurting. It really is hurting for the, for the, for the Mud Hens, you know. It's going to be a long, I, I told you last, the last podcast, it was going to be a long, grueling season for Mudhead fans. You know, we're not going to get the winning baseball like we're thinking we're going to get with all these prospects and all the possibilities of how good this team can be. I really don't think that's going to be the case, especially now, you know, 12 games into this season. and Excuse me, 11 games into the season, one rain out, of course, on Mother's Day. So the... 
11 games in. We can't make judgment yet. We've got to make it to the 30-day mark, of course. I always say you got to wait 30 days, 30 games to make the judgment call on how what this team looks like. But it's not looking good. And the Mudhens lost on Tuesday for opening day in Indianapolis by a score of 4-3. to Wednesday, they lose in Indianapolis by a score of 5 to three, and then we get to Thursday. The Indian, the Mudhens do get the big win. They win six to five over the Indianapolis Indians with the win. Goes to DePlazo. He goes to one and zero with a two point zero eight ERA. Elkman, the loss for Indianapolis. He went, he's zero and one with a three point three eight ERA. Cole, the save for the for the Mudhens, his first of the season. Victor Reyes homering for the for the Hens, his first of the season. Alford for the for the Indians, his first. Bentoncourt, his first for the Indians as well. Then you get to Friday when the Mudhens fall 6-2 to two to the Indians. Uh, Ross, the loss, he goes to 0-2 with a 6.75 ERA. Uh, Spitzbarth, the win, he goes to 1-2 with a 3.38 ERA. Uh, Sawsack, his second home run of the season for the Indianapolis Indians. No home runs hit in the game for Toledo. So the Mudhens fall there. On Saturday, Indianapolis, a 5-4 win over the Mudhens. Garcia, the win, loss, excuse me, he goes to 0-1 with a 6 ERA. Wright, the win for Indianapolis, he goes to 1-0 with a 1.29 ERA. Bashor, the save, his first of the season. Fowler, homering for the Indians, his second of the season. No home runs hit for the Mudhens in the game. We get to Sunday. Hopefully, the, Indi- the Mudhens could salvage anything. They could not. They fall. They lose 6-5 to five to the Indianapolis Indians. Sparksbath, though, again, gets the win. He goes to 2-0 now with a 1.93 ERA. Farmer, the loss, he goes to 0-1 with a 5.40 ERA. Derek Hill, you know, he's a great defensive player. He's probably one of the bright spots on this Mudhen team. Gets a home run his second of the season. Uh, Gonzalez homering for the Indian, excuse me, for the Mudhens. His first of the season, Sharp homering for the Indians, his second. Swaggerty homering for the Indians, his third. And Fowler, his third of the season. So the Mudhens fall, lose five of six to the Indianapolis Indians. As looking at their schedule, looking at their past schedule. So the Mudhens started off on the 4th of April. They won against Nashville, eight to six. That following day, they beat Nashville by a score of six to nine. They're two and zero. That following Friday, they fall to Nashville by a score of. Excuse me, they were rained out. They were rained out that Friday night. Saturday, they played the doubleheader, and they Nashville beats them five to nothing. And then they the second game, Nashville beats them in the doubleheader five to four. So they're two and two. Saturday they lose six to one to Nashville. So they're two and three. Then Sunday, the make Sunday game for them, they play Nashville and they lose. They get rained out against Nashville 
in that one. So they're two and three going back into Indianapolis for the series, and they lose five of six. Okay, so they lost five plus two plus so three plus five. At seven, one, so they're three and seven to start the season off. And now they welcome in the Columbus Clippers for a six-game series. Of course, minor league baseball had doing six games in a row against the same opponent in six days, and then all starts tomorrow night at Fifth Third Field. Hutchinson for Toledo. He's 0-1 with a 6.23 ERA. It'll be Peralta on Wednesday for Toledo. He is no of record as of yet, but he's 11.25 ERA. Thursday, we'll see Garcia on the hill. He's 0-1 with a 6 ERA. Columbus has not yet named starters Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday for the game. I'm going to get a chance to go down and see the Mudhens for the first time this season starting tomorrow night. Actually looking forward to it a little bit, sitting upstairs for that game. Of course, uh, the West looks like this. Omaha leading the division right now at eight and four. Indianapolis seven and four, half game out of first place. Columbus six and five, a game and a half out. The Iowa Cubs are six and a half game, uh, six and five, game and a half out of a first place spot. The Saint Saint Paul is five and seven, three games out of first place. Louisville is three and eight, four and a half games out of first place. And Toledo three and eight, four and a half games out of first place. And the rest of the International League looks like this. It is Buffalo in the East, leading the division at nine and three. Scranton Wilkesbury is nine and three, as well in the top spot. Lehigh is at seven and five, two games out of first place. Worcester is seven and five as well, two games out of first place. Rochester is two and ten, seven games out of first place. And the Syracuse Syracuse is two and ten, seven games out of first place. In the South, Gwinnett holding strong at nine and three in the top spot. Jacksonville is eight and four. One game out of first place. Durham seven and five, two games out of first place. Nashville six and five, two and a half games out of first place. It is the Charlotte Knights who are six and six, three games out of first place. Memphis four and eight, five games out of first place. And Norfolk, who is three and nine, six games out of first place. So all the minor leagues, excluding the Pacific leagues, are off today. They all get back into action tomorrow. So that is your International League standings and notes for that. So the Mudhens getting back into action tomorrow night. Less than 300 tickets left for the whole homestand this weekend. By the way, June 8th, that is when the Mudhens will return back home and it will be full capacity seating at 5th Third Field. Tickets are very limited. Bear in mind, so they're very, very limited. So... Go to mudhens.com for your all your ticket information. And by the way, if you're looking to get walk-up tickets, you can't get walk-up tickets this year, unfortunately. You can pick up your will-call tickets from the booth, but you cannot buy tickets the day of the game at the ticket, win at the ticket window. So just letting you know that, passing that along information for you guys tonight right here on Only Andy Alfred, right here on the Anchor Network on the either Google Podcasts, Apple Music, however you're listening, wherever and whenever you're listening. Thank you for tuning in. And now, for the final time, this is the final time of the season. Let's take a look at the Jackets report. It's time to fire the cannon, and it's time to put on your jackets.
It's time for the Jackets Report right here on All Andy Alfred. Let's talk about the Jackets, of course, and the Jackets finishing up their 2021 campaign last two weeks ago. My apologies, the Jackets. On the 5th, we got a chance to go down to Nationwide Arena to see the Jackets take on the Nashville Predators. And the surprising thing is the Jackets won. They got a big 4-2 win over the Nashville Predators. It was a good crowd on hand, you know, for social distancing and everything like that. I think the 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 crowd was pretty good and the Jackets played spoiler. They they if if Nashville would have won that game, they would have clinched clinched a spot in the playoffs in the Central, but unfortunately they didn't. So the Jackets getting a big 4-2 win over the Nashville Predators and all started off with of course Nashville going up early in the game. Teron getting his fourth of the season unassisted, beating the goaltender Elvis Merzlinkitz. And it was 1-0 after 20 minutes of play. Then Jack Roslevic on the power play gets his 11th of the season from Cam Atkinson and Oliver Bjorkstrand tying the game at one apiece. And we're thinking, oh, you know, the Jackets have an opportunity here. You know, they, you know, we can maybe get something out of it. But then not even before the end of the second period, uh, Joe Croft getting his 13th of the season, making it a 2-1 game, beating Merzlinkitz. But then Oliver Bjorkstrand with less than a minute to play in the period, getting his 16th goal of the season from Miko Lettinen and Vladislav Gavrikov. Hit Bjorkstrand his 16th of the season, tying the game at two apiece, and we headed into the third period, and the Jackets then turned on the heat. Miguel Gregorenko getting his fourth of the season on a tip shot, beating UC Soros, 3-2 Columbus, 13-50 mark of the third period. And in the empty net, Oliver Bjorkstrand getting his 17th of the season from Max Domi and Cam Atkinson with less than a second to go in the game. 4-2 was the final at 200 West Nationwide Boulevard. The Jackets getting a 4-2 wing. Looking at the stats in the game, it was the... Predators out shooting the Jackets 32 to 27. They led in the faceoff dot 51% to 49%. Jackets one for two on the power play. Nashville over one. Jackets had two minutes in penalties to Nashville's four. The both teams had 17 hits. The Jackets had 16 blocks to Nashville's 11. Jackets out shooting the Predators in the first and second periods. And then in the third, Nashville getting the better of the shot total, but the Jackets getting a 4-2 win and getting the chance to see the Jackets win. That was a really good thing. For, by the way, first Merz Lincoln stopping 30 at 32, his save percentage of a point nine three eight. Soros stopping 23 at 26, save percentage of a point eight eight five. So the Jackets getting a big 4-2 win. They finished up the 2021 campaign with two games against Detroit. They fall that Saturday night to the Detroit Red Wings by a score of 5 to two, looking at the game, it was uh, Vara getting a goal and assist. Vara, his first goal as a, excuse me, Joe Valeno getting his first goal as a Red Wing for him from Vara and Horonic. It was in the second period, excuse me, first period, it was actually all Jackets as uh, Vara getting his first goal as a Blue Jacket from Foodie and Line. Making it one nothing after 20 minutes of play, then Nathan Gerby getting his second goal, getting 
the Jackets' second goal of the season. Gerby hits first from Robinson and uh, Gavrikov, making it two nothing. And then the Red Wings turned it on, folks. Valeno getting his first as a first in the NHL for Verona and Hironic on the power play, two one. Jackets still, and then Danny DeKaiser getting his third of the season from Brom and Rasmussen, tying it at two. And then Verona getting his getting his 18th of the season from Plankett and Valtteri Fibula, three to Detroit. And it just turned out for that. Uh, Nestikoff getting two goals in the third period, his seventh and eighth of the season. The third goal, the second, first goal was from Gagne and Filpola. The second goal from Filpola and Horonic. And that was the final. The Jackets fall to the Red Wings by a score of 5-2. In the game, the Red Wings outshot the Jackets 36-24. On the faceoff dot, they led in the faceoff dot 70% to 29%. The Red Wings 1-for-2 on the power play. The Jackets 0-for-1. Jackets out hit in the game 13-10. They outblocked the Red Wings 16-11. The three stars, Valeno, Gavin Bryrotter, and Jacob Verana. So the Jackets fall on Friday night. They win Saturday in overtime by a score of 5-4 to and finish the season on a winning note. The Jackets look like this. It was Verona getting his 19th of the season from Chalowski and Prennick, making it one nothing before Cam Atkinson tying the goal at one apiece. 10-16 mark of the first period. It was 1-1 after 20 minutes. Danny DeKaiser then scoring in the second period, his fourth of the season from Rasmussen and Shrestikov, making it 2-1 Detroit before Oliver Bjorkstrand bearing it past the goaltender for Detroit, tying the game at two apiece. And we get into the third period, and it was a scoring barrage. Eric Robinson starting it off for the Jackets from Nathan Gerby, making it 3-2 Jackets before Sam Gagne getting his seventh of the season for Veronik and Dojos, tying his game at three apiece before Jack Roslovic, the, the Columbus kid, getting his twelfth of the season from Seth Jones and Patrick Laine, making it 4-3, 45 mark of the third period before Valtteri Filpola then, Scores and ties it up at four at the 16-18 mark of the third period from Chalowski and Verana, tying it at four, and then we went into overtime, and Max Domi gets the game winner for the Jackets and wins it five to four at the 439 mark of overtime, capping off the season for the Jackets. The Jackets go off into the sunset with a win 5-4 to four over the Detroit Red Wings. The Red Wings outshot the Jackets in the game 37-36. The Jackets, though, led in the faceoff dot 54% to 46%. Detroit won for one on the power play. Columbus did not have a power play at all in the game. Uh, they out hit the Red Wings 20-11 to 11 and outblocked them 10-8. to 8. So the Jackets finish the season finishes the season with a record of 18, 26, and 12, 48 points. They finish in last place in the Discover Central Division. Detroit finishes in seventh at 19, 27, and 10 with 48 points. All 56 games played. So there is that for you tonight. And unfortunately, because of that, they announced on Sunday that John Tortorella, the former, now the former 
head coach of the Columbus Blue Jackets, the Jackets and Torts, have decided to separate and will not renegotiate contract negotiations. Um, to the to me as a fan and as a broadcaster, I want to say thank you to Torts um, for his, you know, his leadership, his you know his guttiness, and you know to be. To be honest with you, he's probably one of the best coaches that the Jackets have ever had. Now, people say Ken Hitchcock was good, led the team to the playoffs. Um, Todd Richards was okay, helped the team to the playoffs. But Torch was there to guide this team and to lead this team to what it was. And, you know, does Torch get another coaching job? I don't know. Um, there's a lot of talk of him going back to New York. I don't think that's a case because um, Quinn is out in New York. There's a lot of coaching jobs that are going to be open. The Jackets are going to be a job that's open, going to be opened up. You know, it, it it's going to be interesting, you know. And hearing the names on this list of Gerard Gallant and Claude Julian and Mike Babcock and these names on the list for the Jackets, it's a possibility, you know, I... I, I made this post on Twitter, and uh, you can go back onto our Twitter account, by the way, all Andy Elford on Twitter. I made a post of saying, I think the possibility wouldn't it be something if they if the Jackets went with a younger coach for a younger team that this team is. Um, someone that has veteran leadership who has been behind the bench for a while. Um, somebody who has, you know gotten to playoffs, gotten to championships, and unfortunately failed. He's been both an assistant coach and a, and a head coach for a team. And I'll, I'll throw it out there. I, I think Dan Watson would be a good would be a good candidate for an assistant coach for the Jackets. I think he could bring some leadership to this team and, you know, be a little bit of a spark. Uh, do I see him being a head coach? No. I don't think the NHL is ready for Dan Watson. I, if Dan wanted to go into a coaching position, in my opinion, I think the AHL would be best for him uh, because he is a good coach. He has coached well in the ECHL, but the NHL is a whole different animal than the East Coast Hockey League. Uh, if anything, I think if you had to, I would think you'd da- hire Dan to be the head coach of the Lake of the. Cleveland Monsters, aka the Lake Erie Monsters, and then you bring up the AHL head coach to become the new NHL coach for the Jackets, and then Dan gets an opportunity to sit in the minors and maybe work work out and see how it works. Um, I I know for a fact that he lives in Erie, PA. He's close by. He has to keep driving back and forth uh, from Toledo to Erie to be with his family. I think it would be tremendous if he. Would, Get the if you get the uh, Cleveland job, and you know get the opportunity. Cleveland has been struggling at the gate. I think that would be great. You know, there's been former Jack, former Walleye players that have played in Cleveland. Tyler Sakura being one of them. Um, I think it would be it'd be a who's who to let put this into case case freight to put it into the fact that Dan Watson would be a great coach. In the AHL, I mean, you look at Derek Lalone, Lalone coached in the uh, in with Iowa, the Iowa Wild after he left Columbus, after he left Toledo, 
and now he's on the he's on the assistant coach bench with John Cooper in the in the Tampa the Stanley Cup champion Tampa Bay Lightning. I think it's a possibility as you give Dan an opportunity to coach in the AHL and see what happens. What is what else is there for the, for the the monster to do? Bring in some gate to to the fans in Northwest Ohio that would want to see Dan go after go after the the big job. I really do, and it'd be it'd be great exposure. It honestly would be. So if I had to throw my name into a ring, I think Dan Watson for an assistant coach position for the for the for the Columbus Blue Jackets would be great. If that if not that. A coach, head coaching position with the Cleveland Monsters would be an absolute, absolutely honest, best approach. So with the NHL regular season coming to an end, of course, let's take a look at the final standings going into the playoffs. And we'll start with the Discover Central. It was the Carolina Hurricanes winning the division at 36-12-8 with 80 points. They played all 56 games. Florida playing all 56 games. Now all the teams have played all 56 games in this. Uh, Florida... 37, 14, and 5, 79 points. Tampa, 36, 17, and 3 with 75 points. Nashville, 31, 23, and 2 with 64 points. Those are your top four teams. One will play four, so Carolina will play Nashville. Florida will play Tampa. The final division ranking for that fifth was Dallas at 23, 19, and 14 with 60 points. Chicago, 24, 25, and 7 with 55 points. The Red Wings, 19, 27, and 10 with 48 points. Columbus 18, 26, and 12 with 48 points. In the Met, uh, Mass Mutual East, the Pittsburgh Penguins wins, wins the division at 37, 16, and 3 with 77 points. Washington 36, 15, and 5 with 77 points. Boston at, at 33, 16, and 7 with 73 points. And the Islanders at 32, 17, and 7, 71 points. The outside, the Rangers 27, 23, and 6 with 60 points. The Flyers at 25, 23, and 8 with 58 points. The Devils at 19, 30, and 7 with 45 points. And the Buffalo Sabres at 15, 34, and 7 with 37 points. In the Honda West, it was the president champion Colorado Avalanche at 39, 13, and 4 with 82 points. Vegas holding the second spot at 40, 14, and 2 with 82 points. It was Minnesota at 35, 16, and 5 with 75 points. And St. Louis at 27, 20, and 9 with 63 points. Outside looking in are the Arizona Coyotes at 24, 26, and 6 with 54 points. The Kings at 21, 27, 28, and 7 with 49 points. San Jose at 21, 28, and 7 with 49 points. And Anaheim at 17, 30, and 9 with 43 points. Scotiabank North. Now the division's still going on between Calgary and Vancouver. They're playing, they're making up their games. Uh... But the playoffs are pretty much set. Uh, Toronto wins the division at 35, 14, and 7 with 77 points. Edmonton is at 35, 19, and 2 with 72 points. Winnipeg is at 30, 23, and 3 with 63 points. Montreal, 24, 21, and 11 with 59 points. The outside teams, Calgary is at 25, 26, and 3 with 53 points. And Ottawa is at 23, 28, and 5 with 51 points. Vancouver, 22, 28, and 4 with 48 points. So here's the playoff matchups. Toronto will play Montreal. Edmonton will play Winnipeg in the north. In the east, Washington will play Boston. The Islanders will play Pittsburgh in the, in the east. In the central, Florida will play Tampa. Carolina will play Nashville. And then in the west, it will be Vegas versus Minnesota. St. Louis versus Colorado. So 
looking at it, here are my predictions for this first round of the NHL playoffs. I think Toronto will get over Montreal in five games. I think Edmonton and Winnipeg is a really good series. Not that many people are talking about it all that much. I think uh, Winnipeg is close, but I think Edmonton gets the job done. I think it goes to full seven. I think Edmonton takes out Winnipeg in seven. In the east, I have Washington beating Boston in six games, and I have the Islanders beating the Pittsburgh Penguins in five. So Washington versus New York, the Islanders. Toronto versus Edmonton for the conference for the 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 for the division championships. In the central, I have Florida over Tampa in six, and then I have Carolina. The only team, the only series I think that's going to be a sweep is Carolina over Nashville in a four-game sweep. I think Carolina is very very good this year. And in the west, I have the the Vegas Golden Knights over Minnesota in six. And I have St. Louis over Colorado in six because of the President's Trophy curse. I think that is a strong possibility that that's going to happen. So looking at it, Toronto versus Edmonton in the divisional round. Um, If I had to pick, I'd take Toronto in possibly six. Washington over Washington versus the Islanders. I take Washington over the Islanders in six. Uh, Florida versus Carolina. I think Carolina over Florida in five. And then the West. I have it'll be Vegas versus St. Louis. Uh, I gotta go with Vegas. I take Vegas possibly in six. So then it would be reseeded. So Toronto would play Washington for the Eastern Conference Championship. I take Toronto in seven over Washington. And they're going to a bubble with that, by the way. I, I wanted to make mention of that. And then Carolina. Versus Vegas. I have to say I would go with Vegas. Yeah, I'm going to go Vegas. I'll say in six. So it sets up Toronto versus Vegas. I'll take the Leafs. In six. So I think the Leafs will win the Stanley Cup this year. I'm jumping on the Leaf wagon. I hope they do win. I really like to see Nick Foligno get a Stanley Cup championship and win it. I like to see Matthews become the champion that he is and martyr the champion that he is. And that Keith gets a championship and shows that he is an elite coach. I really do. I really, really do. All I have to say is go Leafs, go. As you are listening to All Andy Offer tonight right here on the Anchor Network, whether it be on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Leaker, Stitcher, however you're listening, wherever and whenever you're listening, thank you for tuning in. And now let's head into the end of our program tonight, and it's time for Andy Rants. Before we get to Andy Rants tonight, I want to talk a little bit briefly. The NFL came out with their schedule this past last week. 
And since I wasn't on the air, I wanted to go through a little bit of the schedule for some of the teams, of course. And I wanted to talk about the Lions, first and foremost. And let's talk about their schedule. It looks like this. They'll open up week one in Detroit on the 12th, 1 o'clock kickoff against the San Francisco 49ers before they go into week two in Lambeau on Monday night. They'll return home. They'll return home week three to take on Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens. So the North is playing the North this year. So that's, I, I like that. I really do like that. Week four is at Soldier Field to take on the Bears. Week five is in Minnesota to take on the Vikings. And then in week six, it is the Bengals taking on the Lions at Ford Field. One o'clock kickoff for that one. Week seven, it is the rematch. Matthew Stafford versus the Detroit Lions. 405 kickoff week seven. And then in week eight, on Halloween, one o'clock kickoff. The Lions take on the Philadelphia Eagles. Then week 9 is a bye. Week 10 sees them head to Pittsburgh to take on Big Ben and the Pittsburgh Steelers. Week 11, they travel to Cleveland to take on Baker Mayfield and the Cleveland Browns. The Thanksgiving Day game this year will be with Nick, the Money Man Devera, as it will be the Bears taking on the Lions, 12.30 kickoff on Week 12. Week 13 sees the Vikings coming in to Ford Field. 1 o'clock kickoff for that one. Before they go out on the road, they'll go into Mile High to take on the Denver Broncos in Week 14 of this upcoming season. Week 15 sees the Lions head to Arizona to battle the Cardinals. Week 16, they travel down to Hotlanta to battle Matt Ryan and the Atlanta Falcons. Week 17 sees them head up to the great north of Fraser Crane Country and the Seattle Seahawks. And week 18, yes, we get an extra week of football, and it's against Green Bay at Ford Field. Now let's take a look at the let's besides the Lions, let's take a look also at the Cleveland Browns schedule. Of course, the Browns coming off of a big season last year, beating the Pittsburgh Steelers in the wild card round, getting into the playoffs, getting deep into the playoffs. Let's take a look at their schedule. They'll open up week one in KC against the AFC champion Kansas City Chiefs. Week one, 425 kickoff for that one. Week two, they kick off at home against the Houston Texans. One o'clock kickoff. Week three sees them battling the Chicago Bears at First Energy Stadium before they hit the road in Week 4 to head to Minnesota to take on the Minnesota Vikings. In Week 5, they travel to the West Coast to battle the L.A. Chargers before they return home on Week 6 to battle the Arizona Cardinals. In Week 7, the Thursday night game for the, for the Browns this year will be against the Denver Broncos. We are trying to work out to see if we can get to that game right here on All Andy Elford for Week 7. On the 21st of October, Thursday Night Football, the Browns versus the Broncos. Week 8 sees them battling the Pittsburgh Steelers at First Energy Stadium. 1 o'clock kickoff for that one. 
Week 9, they traveled down to Cincinnati to battle the Bengals and Joe Burrow. In Week 10, they head to Foxborough to battle Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots before they return home in Week 11 to battle the Detroit Lions at First Energy Stadium. They'll go then in Week 12, head to Baltimore for a 8:20 kickoff. That's a Sunday night game. That will be against the Baltimore Ravens. Week 13, they'll have a bye. They'll return week 14 at home against the Baltimore Ravens. Week 15 sees them out in Vegas to battle the Raiders. And here is the Christmas gift that you Browns fans have deserved more than anything. Week 16, Christmas Day, 4:30 kickoff. It'll be the it'll be the Cleveland Browns in Lambeau Field to take on the Green Bay Packers. Week 17 sees the Browns head to Heinz Field to finish up the final road trip of the season as they'll take on the Pittsburgh Steelers. That's an 8-15 kickoff that is on Monday Night Football. And then in Week 18, they will host the Cincinnati Bengals at First Energy Stadium, 1 o'clock kickoff for that one right there. So there is the games for the Browns and the Lions. Looking at week one schedule around the league, this is what it looks like. It will all start Thursday, the 9th of September, 8.20 kickoff on NBC as it will be the boys or the trash bags or the however you say it, it will be the Dallas Cowboys taking on the Super Bowl champion, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Other games on week one, Jacksonville with Urban Meyer and Trevor Lawrence taking on the Houston Texans, 1 o'clock kickoff for that one. The Washington football team will host the the Los Angeles Chargers. At 1 o'clock, it will be the Indianapolis Coast hosting Russell Wilson and the Seattle Seahawks. 1 o'clock kickoff sees the Carolina Panthers taking on the JETS Sucks, Sucks, Sucks Jets. The Vikings will host, be on the road taking on Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals. 1 o'clock kickoff sees Arizona in Tennessee to battle the Titans. 1 o'clock sees the Bills hosting the Pittsburgh Steelers. It will be the Philadelphia Eagles traveling to Hotlanta to battle the Atlanta Falcons. 425 kickoffs besides the Browns and the Chiefs. The Packers are in New Orleans to battle the Drew Brees-less Saints. Uh, 425 kickoff sees the Broncos traveling to uh, New York to battle the G-Men at 425. will also be New England hosting the Miami Dolphins. And the Sunday night game will feature the Chicago Bears traveling across country to battle the L.A. Rams. 820 kickoff for that one. Monday night football sees the Baltimore Ravens taking on the Las Vegas Raiders. So that is week one. The football season is right around the corner. By the way, got to make mention of this as well too. Bowling Green State University men's Bowling Green State University football. There was a scheduling change to their upcoming season. They open up this season in Tennessee. That was scheduled to be a Saturday afternoon kickoff. That has been now moved to Thursday night prime time on ESPN. So big time exposure for the university. Looking forward to seeing football back in action, but we got a ways to go for that. We got a ways to go. So, getting the taste out there, it's great, but we got some ways to go before we. And we got a lot of baseball, and we got the NFL, NHL, and the NBA playoffs coming. You know, and we're getting close to the marathon classic for us. 
And then the Solheim Cup, it's all going to be good. It's all going to be very good. And my wedding, even better. So you're listening to All Andy L for tonight right here on the Anchor Network, whether it be on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Bleaker, Stitcher, however you're listening, wherever you're listening to us, thank you for tuning in. And now, officially, let's head into Andy Rants. And I got a lot to think, talk about tonight. So it's now time for Andy Rants as I sip my truly uh, citrus punch right here. I'm trying out the new fruit punches from Truly right here. I want to say thank you for tuning into the podcast tonight. And if you haven't hit our subscribe button yet, then what are you doing? Hit the subscribe button. We will be doing a pod, we do podcasts every week now. After the long vacation, we'll have a podcast. To, we had our podcast today. We will have one this upcoming Friday as well to preview the weekend that it is ahead of us. So looking forward to being on the air with you guys this upcoming Friday. So stick tuned to that. So it's time for Andy Rants. And we got three big, actually four big things to talk about tonight on the Andy Rants. And first and foremost, when I got a chance to go down to Columbus for the Jackets game, we went through the town, of course, and we went to Polaris and had a great lunch at this place called Chewy's. The, the, the waiter was absolutely fantastic. We went on the on Cinco de Mayo, so we had a, a margarita, of course, and we had my fiance had a fia, uh, for, almost said fiatas, fajitas, and they were fantastic. And I had a big burrito. It was absolutely delicious and highly recommended if you're ever in the Columbus in the Polaris region, definitely, definitely check out Chewy's Restaurant in Columbus. And I think it's like a chain restaurant, but I, I really liked it. I think it was, and I've had a lot of Mexican food in the city of Toledo, and that burrito I had tops anything I've ever had here in town. It really has, it really has. So prove me wrong, Toledo. Give me some great Mexican restaurants. Besides the Don Juans and the El Vaqueros and the and the El Caminos and the La Verendas or whatever that place is right there on Douglas, I like to go to Loma Linda's. I've never been to Loma Linda's. We I want to try that. I've had Fritz and Alfredo's, but you know Chewy's was really good. But anyway, I digress. We got a chance to go through downtown and we went through down Nationwide Boulevard, down past the Huntington Park, and we got a chance to drive close, close to the new Cruz Stadium. And let me tell you, folks, this is a monster of a stadium. This is a beautiful stadium, black in color. It's got tons of seats. It's very open, opened up, and I really like where this is located at. And you think about it, you'll have a baseball game happening at Huntington Park. The crew will be happening down over at the stadium. If you've got it in the fall... You possibly could have the Clippers in the playoffs. You have the crew playing. You have the preseason starting for the Jackets. And possibly a convention happening at the convention center once we get through COVID and everything like that. There's going to be a lot of parking. A lot of parking. A lot of people downtown. So, And then if there's concerts over there at the uh, Express Live, it's going to be something. But uh, the, the, the crew stadium is big. But then what happened last week really hurt me as a as a Columbus sports fan, the crew is the crew. They should never have, they will, they should never, ever, ever change the name of a team. I, I talked about it a long time ago when the monsters in Lake Erie changed to the Cleveland monsters. Lake Erie represents from the coast to coast, 
from Erie, PA, all the way to Toledo, Ohio. Lake Erie is Lake Erie, so it's Lake Erie is that team. Once they changed the name to the Cleveland Monsters, it really bothered me a little bit more. And going from from late E E, excuse me, L E to C L E, kind of bothered me at the same time. So, I I bitched about I bitched about that back then, but now, this is ridiculous. Dumping the Columbus Crew name to go for Columbus SC is absolutely the most ridiculous thing I have ever seen ownership do in my entire life of covering sports. I have the crew is the crew. The crew came into the league as the crew. It has never been SC. And let me just say this. SC soccer is SC stands for soccer club. And I don't think the Columbus Crew Soccer Club the Columbus, see, I always say it, the Columbus crew, it should be the Columbus Soccer Club, should always be the Columbus crew. The crew were evolved. They used to play at Ohio State Stadium before they built McAfee Stadium. And McAfee Stadium is now being replaced with a new stadium that's in downtown. I think, in my honest opinion, the crew should be the crew. So keep the crew, keep the name. Don't go with this Columbus SC. It's this is a fan team. This is this team is run by the fans for the fans. And if you're gonna change the name because you know because it's more right, I I think that's wrong. I honestly think it's wrong. And we're the MLS champions for the love of God. You keep the same name for the team for at least another two to three years until we honestly aren't that good anymore. In the crew. And I, I I just think it's ridiculous that we have to change the name of a of a soccer team to the to SC from the crew to the SC. I think it's ridiculous. I think that the Haslams need to really really think about what they're doing here. And you know, and you fans, including myself, have to go out there and make notice and say, keep the crew. Save the crew. Keep the crew name. Plain and simple. We're going to keep the same colors, but keep the damn name. Plain and simple. That's number one. Number two is what's happening here in Northwest Ohio. So this past weekend, Bowling Green State University finished up their Battle of I-75 with the men's side of sports with baseball. And the 2,693 fans that were at Fifth Third Field Friday night, I commend you for coming downtown to watch the Falcons play the the school up north. Now, bear this in mind. I have no problem with the game. The, the Falcons had opportunity after opportunity to win the game. They couldn't get the job done. I have one beef with BCSN. And I will, you know, I've wanted a job at BCSN all my life. To be able to do play-by-play and to do possibly this show on the air. To be to give the content, but I will break away from that because of what happened to what happened this past weekend. So Bowling Green is playing Toledo at Fifth Third Field. Who did BCSN decide to hire for this game? They didn't hire Greg Frankie. They didn't hire Time Cole. They hired the main broadcaster. For all the other University of Toledo sports, I don't, I don't remember the guy's name on top of my head, because I, 
I don't really like him. And he was such a homer rooting for Toledo the entire time. Picking on Toledo. And by the way, BCSN gets picked up in BG. BCSN gets picked up in Finley. BCSN gets picked up in Erie County, in Fulton County. It's in Northwest Ohio and Southeast Michigan. There's other teams. When you're a broadcaster on BCSN, you cannot show favoritism towards any team. Even if you're if you went to Maumee and you get a Maumee game, you can't show favoritism towards Maumee and the Maumee sports. You can't show favoritism towards all the high school teams and college teams. It's plain and simple. You can't do that. And so BCSN hires this the main broadcaster for the University of Toledo, and he just torches Bowling Green the entire time. And he's celebrating with UT's victory, and he's talking about how great UT is, and talking about how does that make me feel as a BG alum? It tears me down. If you're going to do it, if you're going to do it right, you have to have impartial broadcasters that are 50-50. That's what you see in, in the NFL, in the NHL, on national television. You have to treat BCSN as basically national television because you have to be neutral to both teams. But when you're showing favoritism towards the University of Toledo, and bear in mind, yes, UT was the home team in the game, you, you, and you're, but you're broadcasting it on BCSN. I understand that, that you know that he is the head broadcaster for the University of Toledo, but you cannot show favoritism when you have both Bowling Green fans that are watching and UT fans that are watching. You can't show favoritism in sports. You can't, and it's bad. It's bad, absolutely bad. Absolutely bad. So BCSN, for shame. Maybe next year, get it right. Get an impartial person. Hell, I'll do it. I mean, I'm a BG alum, but I'm not gonna, not gonna. I'll give you a fair, a fair shot. Fifty-fifty shot. Plain and simple. So that's number two. Number three. This past weekend, got a chance to go up to the coast. I got a chance to go to Cedar Point. If you if you see me around town, you'll notice that I'm darker colors. Yes, I am tanned. I uh, got a chance to go up there on opening day Friday. It was fantastic. Got early entry in. Got a chance to ride a lot of the... I've got to give credit to some of the crew members, of course. One in particular, there's a bunch of crew members from the Magnum Roller Coaster. They do a fantastic job. Uh, that's my go-to ride. That's my favorite ride in the entire park is Magnum. Uh, if you ever see me at the park, we'll get a ride on Magnum. And I'll show you the best spot on the ride. And honestly, it is the fourth row. On the fourth row is the best spot because you get the most hang time over the lift hill and the best air time that you can get on the second on the second hill. On the third hill, excuse me, coming out of the tunnel. So yeah, I, I rode Steel Vengeance. I've rode Val Raven, uh, Blue Streak, Gemini, Magnum five times. Um I, I, but I will say this, you know, you can tell that COVID hiring 
really hits. There are very limited stands that were open. Like a lot of the pop stands for long lines, 20 to 30 minute waits on, on a lot of pop stands. Same with food stands as well. Um, hopefully that we get international students to come in and wanting to, that can work, that will be able to work. That would be fantastic. Um, because it's going to be a long summer if that's going to be the case for workers and for people that want to go to the park, that go to the park regularly. You know, I went Friday. I thought Friday was better than Saturday. Saturday was an absolute zoo. I went with a, a former coworker of mine and, uh, we rode, uh, Millennium Magnum at least three times, uh, Gemini, Val Raven, Blue Streak, and then that was it. We couldn't get any more rides in because it was so busy. And we went over to this Frontier Festival that they have. And, and Frontier Festival, if, you, if you've if you never been to Cedar Point, they do, like, uh, themes. This year was a cherry theme. Um, some of the product was great, and some of the product was absolutely atrocious. Um, they had sliders. Uh, I'll give you the, the pulled pork slider was, I gave it, like, a 4.6. You know, I do ratings on sliders. I'm, I'm like Dave Portnoy when it comes to sliders and, and sandwiches. Give me a good sandwich over anything. Uh, pizza's good, but give me a sandwich. Meat between two pieces of bread and some vegetables. It sounds delicious. So, yeah. Uh, Got to give commendants to the, to the ride people and to the, and to the workers that do work. They're doing a tram, tremendous job. And keep up the good work. And to those people that were out there on opening day. And um, I'm just glad that, you know, the season's ready to go. And, you know, we just got to get ready and got to get to the point once in a while. Plain and simple. So number three. And now number four. Of course, if you haven't heard, we had the, here in the state of Ohio, uh, uh, our governor, Mike DeWine. I think one of the greatest governors in the state's history. I think Kasich is one. DeWine is, I think DeWine is right there at number two. And number three is Bob Taft. I, I think and Ted Strickland is like fourth. For me, DeWine announcing that the end of the health orders on June the 2nd is somewhat, I, I hate to say this, but I think he's not. We're not ready for it yet. I don't think we're ready for it. I think July one would be the best day to put the health orders off, because it gives us ever and everybody enough time to, you know, be fully vaccinated, be fully healthy in the summer season, and everybody's going to be outside. There's not going to be that much people inside. Um. But I think he is doing the right thing and deciding to lift some of the health orders up and let them go out. Um, I know with the Indians and the Reds doing uh, full capacity, that's going to be interesting to see how that's going to work. Um, I love that the fairs and festivals are going to be back open, but the Ohio State Fair this year is going to be straight uh, just a, a junior fair. Um, I love it. We're going to have the German American Fest this year. And I'm glad now that the, the lift, lift means that there will be no caps at the Marathon Classic and the Solheim Cup coming forward. 
and the mud hens are going to go to full capacity. So if you haven't gotten your shot yet, get your vaccine, get your shot. Now from age 12 to 103 or 104, you can go out and get a shot. If you're 12 to 17, you can get the Pfizer shot. Get the shot, get safe, be healthy. And, you know, remember still, when you're out in public, you know, wash your hands, be responsible, keep a social distance of six feet. And if you don't feel uncomfortable with being in the area with a lot of people, you know, wear a mask. You know, I'm, I, I, I'm making this announcement here. I'm still going to wear a mask till July 1st. I really am. Um, I feel like it's, it's going to be more safer for me to do that. Um, I'll wear, I'll not wear a mask when I'm eating or I'm, I'm out and about where I'm, I know I'm going to be in a safe location with people. But, um, if I'm going to be in a crowded area, like when I go to Cedar Point, I was in my, in the queue lines and I was wearing a mask because I don't know where other people have been touching, what other people are doing. And if they're vaccinated or not vaccinated, because we don't know, we just honestly don't know. And but DeWine doing this vax a million thing, and it's pretty, it's a pretty genius idea in my opinion. I think that's a good incentive for people to go out and get a shot, plain and simple, it's absolutely plain and simple. So that's Andy Rance tonight. Uh, we will be back on Friday to recap the Giants series with the Reds. And by the way, the Giants getting a win tonight by a final score. The game just has gone final. It is. The Giants, a winner, 6-3 to three over the Red Legs. Logan Webb, the win. He goes to 3-3. Three and three. Sonny Gray, the loss, he goes to 0-3. We'll have a full recap for you on Friday's edition of the show from this series. Also, the Tigers series against the Mariners, as well as the Indians battling the Angels. We'll also dive into the NHL playoffs a little bit more, as well as, you know, we'll dive into the Mud Hens and see how they're going to be doing in this upcoming series against the Clippers. And by the way, uh, Bob McKellican and I were chatting on Twitter. Uh, Bobby Mack is also a play-by-play guy for the Clippers. He will not be making the trip. Ryan Mitchell is making the trip. So hopefully we get a chance to chat with Ryan Mitchell. I'm, I'm looking to try to do an interview with him, but you know we shall see. Also got to plug this as well too. I was before we went on the air. I saw a tweet that went out to a guy. If you don't follow this guy, his name is Zach Hample. Zach underscore Hample. H A M P L E at Zach Hample. He is in Cincinnati tonight for the the Reds Giants game. He's probably going to be there for at least two to three games, maybe even all four if he really has. If he is, um, he's a big ball hawking guy. Follow him on Facebook, follow him on Twitter, follow him, not on Facebook, follow him on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. He's a big ball hawking guy. He's on YouTube. Watch him. He's a fun guy to watch. And uh, he's in Cincinnati. He's in Ohio. So it's good to see Zach back in action. So that's going to wrap it up tonight on All Andy Alford. I hope you enjoyed this broadcast as much as I gave it to you. It was fun to do this again. It's good to be back on the air with you. Stay cool. It's going to be in the 90s this week, so make sure you're hydrated, 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 and stay safe, six feet, hand sanitizer, wash your hands, and keep calm And if you have to wear a mask. But I'm Andy Alford. I hope you enjoy. I hope you have a great rest of the evening. 
And as always, I'm pulling for you. We're all in this together. The game of life. Keep your stick on the ice. And to the teams you root for at home, into my teams, go Tigers, go Tribe, and go Reds. Go Jackets, and go Leafs, go. Go Falcons. Go Browns, and go Lions. And go Crew. Victory is sweetest when you have tasted defeat, my friends. Have a great week, everybody. I'll talk to you on Friday night for another edition of all Andy Alfred. And I love you. Talk to you guys then. This has been a presentation of the All Andy Elford Network powered by Anchor. You have been listening to Andy right here on the Anchor Network, whether it be on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, Stitcher, Leaker, however you listen, wherever and whenever you're listening. Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast. And remember, you can follow Andy on Twitter. It is at All Andy Elford. It is at All Andy Elford. Facebook.com slash All Andy Elford. Podcasts are posted every Tuesday and Friday right here on the Anchor Network.